All right, I've entitled this message Left Behind because I thought it was catchy and no one's ever used that title before. So I just thought, why not? But really, that's, that's really what's happening here. We're going we're gonna to get into that and look at what's happening. This is the real Left Behind. Um, the other one is fiction, but this one happened. This was real and, and we see the men who were really feeling it. Um, and the next two or three chapters of the book of John come in response, and we're going to look at all of that. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to start by, by looking at this issue of devotions. If you grew up, if you grew up in a Christian home as I did, the odds are that you were asked at some point, have you done your devotions? Have you done your devotions? And it meant have you read the Bible and said your prayers and things like that? We, we just use that terminology, have you done your devotions? But the word devotion actually means to, to it actually, something that's devoted means something that's set apart for the Lord under some kind of vow. And it refers to the, the, the feelings that we feel, or at least that's how we, that's how we associate it, or the feelings that we feel towards the Lord. And Peter, in this passage, shows the intensity of the devotion that he felt. And he tells Jesus that he'd rather die than be left behind. But Jesus sees his heart and he tells him the painful truth, which is that his devotion was going to fail before sunrise. So this text raises the topic of devotion, the strength of our commitment to God and to Jesus and this has to do with our worship as well. And when we think of the word devotion, we can also think of the word devotional. Does anyone have a favorite devotional that they read? Some, there's some really good ones. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, they're my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers, uh, Morning and Evening, Charles Spurgeon, two really great ones. There's lots of others. Um, to remember when you're reading your devotional, it's not, it's not the Bible. So read your Bible first. But those can be helpful as well. Um, and what's interesting about the genre of devotional literature is that it, we, read these, we read these books and this, these pamphlets. Actually, we have uh, Daily Bread that's back there. You can take one of those if you want. That's another devotional. But we read these things to sort of kindle the feelings of earnestness and loyalty in our hearts, right? And so this genre of devotional literature points to a peculiar fact about us as people, which is that we sense that we're always in need of having our hearts stirred up towards God and spiritual things, don't we? That is the reason that, that those books exist. Now, to be a Christian is, in one way or another, to be devoted to Christ, to have sworn allegiance to him and claimed faith in him. But is our devotion real? should be asking ourselves that. Is it real? What does it look like to be devoted to Jesus? What is the source and the motivation of our devotion? And what we learn from Peter is that there can be and often is a difference between our feelings of devotion to Jesus and what our faith would actually look like under trial. And that's what he shows us. That's what Jesus shows us in his response to Peter here. Peter yearns to be near Jesus, as we do. He wants to show Jesus how much he loves him and how far he's willing to go to defend him. But he also reveals 
some important things about how our hearts work. So let's look closely at Peter's devotion, at Peter's inevitable failure, and of Jesus's knowledge of Peter. Peter's devotion, Peter's inevitable failure, and Jesus's knowledge of his disciple. First of all, his devotion. And I think there's three things that we need to notice about Peter's devotion here. The first is that it felt intense. The second is that it lacked substance. And the third is that it was untested. So it felt to him like something real and something intense. You can see it. You can see it in what he says in verse 36. Lord, where are you going? He needs to know. Where are you going? And as I said, this moment, this exchange right here really sets up what we, what we know as the farewell discourse. And that's chapters 14 and 15 and 16. So the next three chapters of Jesus's teaching, red letters, if you have a red letter Bible, is all in response to what Peter is saying here. Peter's terrified of being separated from Jesus because Jesus is saying, I have to go. That's the last thing that Jesus said. He said, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. That's verse 33. So they've heard him and Peter speaks for the whole group when he says, please don't leave us behind. Where are you going? The significance of his departure, the necessity of his departure. These are the things that Jesus spends the next three chapters teaching them about and the profound blessings that they're going to experience as a result of him returning to the Father, as we saw last week. But I want you to imagine that for these men, this is a very strange moment because this was all Jesus's idea to begin with. Peter was a, he was a fisherman. You remember at the beginning of his story, he was, he was working his nets at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was the one who came to him and said, you follow me, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men, right? So he found Peter at work and told him to follow it was his idea. And now he's saying to Peter, you can't come any further. This is the end of the line. It's been about three years. And that's not nearly long enough for Peter. He wants to go. This reminds me actually of a, of a scene from um, the, the movie. It's in the book as well. The movie, The Fellowship of the Rings. Anyone seen that? with uh, Frodo and Sam and the, and the fellowship and all the, all the people who are going, trying to get the ring into Mordor. There's this, fan, there's this lovely scene. It's right at the end of the first movie where Sam and Frodo are about to be separated. They're on the bank of the, of the river. Do you remember that? Frodo shoves off, gets in the boat. Sam shows up just as he's kind of sailing away across the water. And Sam says, Frodo, where are you going? And, and he starts to wade into the water. And Frodo says, go back, Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam, and Sam says, of course you are. And I'm coming with you. Remember? You remember that scene? Have you seen it? That scene has the same feel to me as this passage. Because we have a sidekick who can't even begin to imagine what the hero is going through. And doesn't know what he's asking by seeking to, to be taken along. He only knows that the one thing that he can't bear is to be separated from his master. The outcome is different. In the, in the movie, Frodo takes Sam to Mordor. 
here, Peter stays behind as he's told. But Peter says in verse 37, I will lay down my life for you. And he means it, folks. He's not, he's not being rhetorical. He means that. He is passionate about Jesus. He loves him and he says that he's ready to prove it. He feels something like a hero, but he's not ready at all yet to lay down his life for Jesus. Not yet. He's not truly prepared in his heart for the hard times ahead. And what this all tells us about ourselves is that there's a difference in our hearts between what we feel and what is real. So much of the time, not always, but so much of the time, of the time there is a difference between what we feel and what is actually real. And when we, when we come to Jesus, he's the one who's standing on the firm shore of reality. And this was the, this was the moral also of, of my children's story, that um, when every time that I'm in my truck and the toddler comes running up to my window and he's crying to be taken along, and I think to myself, I love this, but I can't take you. I can't take you. I love you. You would not have a good time where we're going, right? So Peter did feel an intense devotion to Jesus. And the feeling itself was authentic, by the way. You can tell. The feeling was authentic, but it wasn't enough. The feeling was sort of a a shell. It was a frame with no picture. Something was missing, And this is the second point about Peter's devotion is that it lacked substance. And what do I mean by that? Well, if Peter's heart is not as strong as he thinks it is, if he's fooling himself about his devotion, it's because the central reality of his relationship with Jesus is not yet in place, okay? He's been through a lot with Jesus, but he hasn't seen the end. And it's the end that will do for him what he needs. And Jesus had told the rich young ruler, do you remember what the, you remember the rich young ruler came to him and said, Lord, what should I do to be saved? And he said, keep the commands. And he said, yeah, I do that. And he said, well, one thing you lack. Do you remember that? One thing you still lack. The same thing is true of Peter here. One thing you lack. To illustrate this point, I want to tell you or remind you, hopefully, of, of a scene in The Wizard of Oz. You all seen that one? A couple of movie references today. You see, okay, you, you're with me. You've seen, the, you've seen The Wizard of Oz. And Peter here, I watched the scene again where Dorothy runs across the lion for the first time on the yellow brick road. Remember that scene in the forest? It's a great scene. Um, he reminds me, Peter reminds me of the lion from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, because just about 15 or 20 minutes into the film... Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and Toto, they all run into this lion. Remember, he says, you know, put him up, put him up. Remember that? He goes, uh, <clears throat> it's Bert Lahr with his great New York accent. It's, Which one of you foist? He's ready to fight anyone. He's ready to fight. And then he goes chasing Toto off into the bushes and he comes back out. And when he comes back out, Dorothy slaps him and he starts crying. Remember? <laughs> and he's drying his face with his tail. It's great. The, the humor of that movie was lost on me when I was a kid, but I get it now. It's really, it's fun. And so Dorothy says to him, he's standing there crying just because he, she bopped him on the nose. And, and she goes, why, you're nothing but a great big coward. 
And he says, you're right, I am a coward. I even scare myself. (laughs) Peter does remind me of that, minus all of the lightheartedness of that scene. Um, He has a picture in his head of who he is that's, that's not accurate. The thing is that that won't always be the case, right? Something will happen to Peter that changes him and makes him the man that he fancies himself to be right now making this bold claim that he can't back up. Something will happen. The content of Peter's devotion at this point included a lot of good things, a lot of real things like the transfiguration. He'd been there, he'd seen that. The signs, all of the miracles and the healings of Jesus, the teaching, lots of good things in his heart, in his devotion to Jesus, but it was missing something essential. Peter's devotion was missing the gospel. It didn't have the cross in it yet, you see? It was about to happen. He was almost there. There's another another three days and he'd see the whole thing. But as of this moment, Peter's without one, the, the one piece of the puzzle that will give all of his feelings real substance. So the thing that Peter was missing is the thing that all of us are missing whenever our devotion is all talk and no courage. If there's no gospel in it, then there's no courage. There's no substance. There's nothing to live on. It's all bluster like the lion in the forest. And I hope, my hope for us is that we can all be honest enough with ourselves to admit when that is happening. So the third thing about Peter's devotion is that it was simply that it was largely, in large part, untested. We should not miss the fact that Jesus is putting Peter through something extremely difficult. Okay, don't take what he says lightly. Don't just gloss over it because you've read it so many times. Jesus is stripping away all of Peter's hopes and ambitions. And when, he, when Jesus dies on the cross, that will feel to his disciples like a defeat worse than death for them. Peter would rather have died than watch what they did to his friend. And this is exactly what James wrote in his letter in the first chapter of James. One of the reasons that Peter's devotion is going to fail is that he's never been through a real trial, not yet, not like what's coming. The testing of your devotion is part of the process by which your feelings for Jesus become real and substantial. And in James 1, James, who was, a, who was another disciple, writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance. The testing is what produces real devotion. And this is, has anyone ever, any of my long-term marriage veterans been to a wedding with about 15, 20, 30 years under your belt? You've been to a wedding in that, in that yeah. We've, those of us who've been married a while know what that's like, right? It's lovely. It's lovely to go to a wedding and be reminded of how fresh that love is, right? But what's the one thing you're thinking about when they're making these, these grand vows? You know, right? 
just wait, right? <laughs> so vowing, vowing to care for someone in sickness is one thing at the altar. But caring for someone in sickness 30 years down the line, that's different. That's different, isn't it? See, we hear this couple making this, these grand declarations of love, and we wouldn't have it any other way. We wouldn't change that. We're also not going to steal their joy by saying, oh, well, you just wait, <laughs> right? We could. We're not going to do that either. But, but in the back of your mind, you know what it's like to be on year 10 and year 15. You know what it's like to be up at 2 in the morning with sick children. You know that what you're saying at the altar will take on flesh, in a sense, much later in the midst of trial. And that's how these things work. So you are already devoted, but the substance of your devotion isn't there yet. Do you see it? See what I'm saying? It hasn't been tested. The idea here is that a lot of of so-called devotion, a lot of what we think of as devotion is just mere self-centered emotion, which is useless to us when life gets difficult. And that's what we see next. We see that Peter's devotion was, was bound to fail, his inevitable failure. And there's two reasons specifically, and the first is his ignorance, and the second is his weakness. So after three years of following Jesus, Peter He couldn't see the path anymore because Jesus was the one saying, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Where where are you taking me, by the way? That's a perfectly natural question, isn't it? This 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 is the way we expect leadership to work. And you can see this in just the entire structure of democracy itself, how we choose our leaders. We're going to vote for a man who will not tell you his plan? You're going to vote for that person? Some people will vote for that person, granted. <laughs> However, this is the whole reason we have debates. And they're televised, and tens of millions of people watch them because we want to know, where are you taking me? It's a great question. Where are you taking me? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Peter has no idea what's about to happen. Maybe some of Jesus' predictions of his own death have gotten through. Maybe they have made it through. And Peter kind of understands, kind of, something's about, he's, he's about to be taken from us. But he doesn't realize, he doesn't realize yet what it all means. And what it means is the part that speaks to our heart. The facts speak to our head, but the meaning speaks to our heart. And what Peter is doing here in verse 37, he says, Lord, why why can I not follow you now? He's rejecting the necessity of the separation that Jesus says is coming. You see it? He's saying, you're saying that you have to leave, but I'm saying, why? Why? Peter, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand, not only does he not understand Jesus, he doesn't understand what he's saying, does he? So natural human devotion, 
the devotion that comes to us all naturally in friendships, in politics, it needs clarity to function, right? We need to see where we're being led for that to work. But real devotion, it depends on faith and not on sight. One of the things that this means is that being devoted to Jesus does not require you to be able to see everything that's coming. If it did mean that, how could any of us be devoted? Because we can't see the future. He does not reveal hardly any of our future to us, if at all. All of us are facing some difficult circumstances in one way or another, and we're not sure how it's going to turn out. So how do we have peace? How do we have devotion? How do we stay devoted? Real devotion doesn't depend on the certainty of success, but on the certainty of God's love. And that's the thing that Peter was missing. He didn't know for a fact that God loved him and accepted him yet. And the same is true of us, apart from faith in the work of Christ and what that means for us, our devotion is so weak that it can't even stand a little bit of questioning. Just like Peter. Now, the kicker, and some of you might have already put your finger on this. Look at verse 37 one more time. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Listen to this. I will lay down my life for you. Imagine saying that to Jesus. Imagine telling Jesus that you were willing to die for him. You see it? And notice that that's the specific thing that provokes Jesus's reaction. Will you lay down your life for me? Will you? And when Jesus says that, he means that all of our grand gestures for him amount to nothing in the end. Nothing in the Christian life precedes the work of Jesus on our behalf. Nothing in the Christian life precedes the work of Jesus for us. Everything begins with Jesus dying on the cross. There's nothing before that. In a spiritual sense, it's like Peter didn't even have a life to lay down until Jesus gave it to him. You see it? Until he was born again through his faith in Jesus's work on the cross. What did he have to offer Nothing, and the same, it's, same is true of us. You and I have nothing to offer Jesus on our own, nothing to add to his work we receive from Jesus. We don't stand beside him and face God's wrath. He faces God's wrath alone, and praise God for that. If Peter thought, and he does, if Peter thought, that he loved Jesus tonight, all he needed to do was wait a few days. Then he was really going to see it, right? He was really going to see what God thought, what Jesus thought about him. The thing that would ultimately cement Peter's heart to Jesus was seeing him on the cross. Realizing how desperately sinful he was and believing that Jesus had fully and perfectly reconciled him to God in that moment of suffering. That's what he needed. And after that, 
after that would come the real devotion, the kind of devotion to Jesus that would not give up even in the worst of circumstances. So self-centered, natural, fleshly devotion gets it backward. It's like saying to Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. We need him to lay down his life for us. So Peter offered, this is the clearest way we could say this, Peter offered to lay down his life for the one who was laying his life down for him. And after the cross, Peter would be the kind of man who could endure anything for Jesus. He would be that man. He's not tonight. And the thing that changed was what he saw on the cross. Until we see Jesus bleeding on the cross for us and put our faith in that sacrifice to take away our sins, we can't follow him anywhere. We can't even avoid denying him for a few hours when we're left to ourselves. So as long as you're fixated on what it is you think that you're supposed to be doing for Jesus, you will never even be able to show the most basic loyalty to him under pressure. That's the lesson of this text. And we're just like Peter, aren't we? I'm just like Peter. All of us have promised in our hearts to do better and try harder. And a lot of times that's what devotion means. I'll do better next time. I'll try harder. We've vowed to to be more devoted to Jesus, but our devotion can't save us. It can't even stop us from sinning when when that's all it is. You see? What we need is the same thing that Peter needed. We need to see Jesus on the cross bleeding for our sin. Jesus will not bless devotion that comes apart from the gospel because if it doesn't come from the gospel, it comes from the self. And that is nothing more than a feeling. It never holds up under pressure. And by the way, we don't have time to do this this morning. I wish we did. If you really want to see what God made of Peter's heart before the end, he wrote two letters They're in the book. Just go read the letters. I'll give you a couple of samples. He says, Lord, where are you going? He truly doesn't know. He doesn't get it. In 1 Peter 3.22, he writes this. He says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. He knew. He knew by the end. He didn't know it tonight, but he knew by the end. He says, he's at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. God, Jesus is in heaven. He's good with it at the end of his life after all of this. And then in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, right at the beginning, right at the beginning of his first letter, he writes this to the Jews scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Listen to this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
This is a moment in the life of Peter and the rest of that life would be in strength and in power once he saw Jesus on the cross. There's one thing left to deal with here this morning, and that's Jesus' answer to Peter. Verse 38, gotta love it. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. The sun's not gonna come up. Tonight, you're gonna deny me tonight. Three times, three times. So why does he respond to Peter this way? Is he, being, is he being cruel? Is this a rebuke? What's behind the way that Jesus responds to Peter's offer to lay down his life? And what does this, this response mean for you and me? And this is where we see Jesus' knowledge of Peter. Two things. It's realistic and it's the basis of his love. Jesus says, point blank, he says, I know you, Peter, and you're not even strong enough to speak up for me when they put me on trial. You say that you'll lay down your life, but you can't even do the most basic thing that a friend should be able to do, which is speak up. Jesus is painfully realistic with his disciples. He never flatters us. He never accepts from us our forced or shallow devotion. He will not let us relate to him on any other terms than what's real and what's true and what will last. He won't put up with any fake devotion whatsoever. And Jesus does not ever pull punches, does he? He does not. He tells us exactly how it is with our hearts. He won't let us wiggle out from under the reality of sin, the little bit of sweet talk. He's not impressed by our vows and our oaths and our resolutions. They don't mean anything to him because he sees straight into the deepest part of our hearts and he knows without having to guess, without needing to speculate exactly what's happening there. You can't fool or flatter Jesus and you can't hide from him. He knows the difference between what we say we believe and what's real to us, what is actually working in our hearts. He knows the difference better than we do. He is far more honest with us about ourselves than we are, and that's a good thing. We need it. Secondly, Jesus' knowledge of Peter it's not just there. It's not like he knows Peter and he loves him. His knowledge of Peter is actually the basis of his love for Peter. What do I mean? Jesus isn't just being blunt for the sake of bluntness. In his honesty, honesty with Peter, Jesus is showing us the magnitude of his grace. What Jesus says to Peter may sound blunt to the point of cruelty. And I'm sure that it hurt Peter to hear this, that he was going to deny Jesus. But later, later, when Peter was reflecting on these events, do you think it comforted him to realize 
that Jesus saw his failure and accepted him anyways? You think that was a comfort to him? Oh, it was, must have been so comforting. It's so good that this happened. Because the moment Peter realized, wait a minute, he told me that would happen. And he still loved me and he still gave his life for me. How beautiful. How different than believing that Jesus didn't know I was going to deny him. And maybe if he'd known that, he wouldn't love me. Right? This is the opposite. Jesus knew him and loved him. This means for us is that he died. He died to save you, even knowing all of the ways that you would fail him. And he died for you because he knew your weakness. All of this adds up to one spectacular truth, which is that Jesus creates in us the strength which our devotion naturally lacks. He produces it in our hearts. He does it for us. Together, these, these sayings, the two halves of what he says here, is truly, truly, I say to you, this is the bad news to Peter about his devotion that he thinks is so strong, but it's bound to fail. And then he says, you will follow me afterward in verse 36. That means that when the time comes, after he sees the rest of the story, Peter's going to get that lion heart that he claims to have right here. And these two things together add up to a, a very beautiful truth, which is that he knows us better than we know ourselves, including all the ways that we're bound to fail him. But he's creating within us the very strength that we flatter ourselves to have for following and for worshiping him. He's doing it by showing us the strength of his devotion to us. And that's what we need. And back to the Wizard of Oz. Have you ever noticed that the lion and the tin man and the scarecrow, they all say that they're off to see the wizard. But who are they actually devoted to in the movie? Dorothy. They're following Dorothy. They're devoted to Dorothy, aren't they? Themselves, sure. They're off to see the wizard, yeah. But who are they really glad to be with? With Dorothy. Why? Well, it's because of what happens on the road. Let's go back to that scene. The scene where, he, where the lion first meets Dorothy and Tin Man and the Scarecrow on the road to, to Oz. This, this is, there's a moment there that you would blink and miss it, but it's so significant. And it's, it's right after the lion's exposed as a coward. Dorothy says, you're nothing but a great big coward. He says, yeah, I am. I know. Can't help it. And then the tin man says, the tin man says, uh, why, should, why didn't he come along with us? Maybe the wizard can find him some courage, Right. And Dorothy says, that's a great idea. And she turns to the line and she says, why don't you come with us? And you know what he says next? He says, wouldn't you be degraded to be seen in the company of a cowardly lion? I would. And Dorothy says, of course not. 
So she sees him for who he really is. She sees him and she accepts him and she welcomes him. And later on in the film, the lion sees the wizard and he finds his courage. But it was actually Dorothy's knowing acceptance of him that changes him. So it's not the wizard that saves Dorothy or saves the lion, it's Dorothy. She's the one who saves him. And it's the same, thing, it's the same way with us. When you see that God has accepted you, not because of your strength, but be, in spite of your weakness, that changes you. That's where real devotion comes from. How could you leave that person? Now you're ready. You've been exposed as a fraud and loved anyways. And now your heart is ready to cling to Jesus. Now you're truly the disciple that you thought you were in the beginning, making these grand gestures for Jesus. It's believing the gospel that you're a failure and you're loved anyways, that creates the devotion that's necessary to follow Jesus where he is going. So in this passage, right here in this short little snippet, we see immature devotion that says that Jesus somehow needs me. I'll lay down my life for you. We also see a form of insecure devotion that says that I need Jesus, but I might lose him. Lord, where are you going? But real devotion, real gospel devotion realizes that I already have Jesus and I cannot lose him because it's his devotion to me that keeps us together. Let's pray.